You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum, may be with you, and all the blessings are associated with God Almighty to all of our listeners around the world and in the UK. Assalamu alaikum. Today is a Tuesday, and uh, as always, it's myself and Zakaria who are with you on the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum, Zakaria. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you? Ah, oh, well, really good. good. Um, Actually, I was reflecting because I knew you were going to ask this question. Right? <laughs> uh, so I'm good, you know, by the grace of God. But actually, I listening to the news, I have been reflecting a lot on the increase in the prices of energy and food bills are going up astronomical, and there is a catastrophe going on. So I have been reflecting on that quite a lot and seeing how we as a family can start preparing for all of this and I imagine many people are and I also think that people are extremely worried about the situation and and when you start thinking about the challenges ahead people sometimes turn to like an escapism kind of route yeah and more thought about it more because the topic that we're discussing today is alcohol alcohol deaths and yeah. it's on the rise mm. so I was wondering as as we go through the the topic today and we talked to talk to our guests who we're going to be speaking to uh you know andrew Marcel from wales who's the director at alcohol change uk and we talked to dr gillian uh who's a phd psychologist and also understand these things when we talk to justina murray who's the chief exec officer for scottish families mm. and see how they reflect on it so that's what i've been doing so it's kind of how I've been reflecting on the week, besides, you know, the normal day-to-day challenges. So, anyway, what what do you think? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been? it's it's been well. It's been well. Uh, the, uh, I mean, it's a bit cooler. Like like always, we discuss about the weather because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love the, uh, the 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 way the weather has changed. But the the topic of today is a very important topic mm. because. You know, when when uh, someone has been told that there is an option for you, right? So it's it's better not to do that, okay? Then humans, you know, it's it's a human instinct that you know they will take the the bad path. But there will be some wise people who would say that look, 
no, I, I think this is harmful for me, mm. for my society, mm. for my family, for it, you know, etc., etc. Yep. Um, and when it comes to, for example, the inflation or uh, in future there will be a lot of problems mm. when when people might not have their jobs, etc. Th- there will be a lot of people they might start drinking as well. But then, what it does is it you know destroys you from inside your relationships with with you with your loved ones mm. and also it could harm uh the others as well around you but this is what we are basically going to discuss um you know in the first hour as alcohol deaths um yeah. on, it's on its rise and it's not you know going to the decline it's it's mm. something which is a worrying thing yeah um and 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 uh, what what does islam say about alcohol yeah i mean it says loads loads and and we'll get definitely delve into that but so in the second hour we're going to be talking about the hajjad prayer yeah and that's an extra prayer that people can do when they're really worried and how they want to find themselves getting closer to our creator and we're going to delve into that as well so both and if you've got lots of challenges in your life one way in which you can solve them is asking your creator our creator who creates everything good yeah. bad and all the joys and all the harmful effects so why not talk to him and using the hajjad prayer as a as a way forward so we'll mm. delve into that but as always so clear people can get in touch with us can't they on 02086877878 and on our normal social platforms Voice of Islam UK and then so if you do that definitely we will do a shout out bring you in and uh, just have a conversation with us I'm sure there is something that would probably interest you and we can talk to you live on air so do that so or even send send us uh, a message so in terms of an introduction then Zakri for the first hour before we speak to Andrew Missal very shortly who's the director of Wales at Alcohol Change UK I mean sometimes technically people refer to alcohol as the chemical name as ethanol hmm. usually you get other connotations like booze um, drink Toxication, you know, what, what's my drug sort of thing. Yeah. So there are lots of names, but most people will refer to it as alcohol and its, and its technical name is ethanol. Mm. And it's like a, a psychoactive drug that is, is an active ingredient in drinks such as beer, wine and distilled spirits. And they're kind of like the hardcore uh, liquor. But it's been produced and it's been consumed by humans uh, for its psychoactive effects. Mm. Uh, and it's been, and I didn't know this, that it's been, people have been doing it for over 10,000 years. Oh, that's so this is a long time. Yeah. And you're probably going to explain to us about 1,400 years ago when yeah. the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, right, stop it, no drinking. Yeah. And that's 1,400 years ago. So yeah. prior to that, 10,000 years, Very common. it had pretty become integral to people's life, society, and, and how all of that, and how it became very acceptable, how it became uh, legal in most countries. All right, there are some countries where it's it's not legal, especially in many Muslim countries, but mm. people still find a way around it, and they still have a drink. In, in those countries as well. Yeah. But actually, it is considerable 
considered like a societal or a society in in fact and a cultural significance and it has an important in many aspects of people's mm. world so i mean there are some massive statistics right about mm. this yeah i mean the global alcoholic drink industry um has actually exceeded one uh, uh one trillion uh, as in power, uh, dollars uh in 2018 uh treating illnesses and injuries caused by alcohol misuse um and it's costing the nhs up to 1.7 billion pounds a year right just to treat the alcoholic uh you know people who are addicted to this and you know who harm their uh, their body because of that uh, according to a report and according to the world health organization yeah. the harmful use of alcohol is a casual factor in more than 200 diseases and injury conditions so more than t- 200 diseases can cause from alcohol and including injuries as well i mean over 200 diseases i mean if you imagine how many different type of cancers there are there yeah. are way nearly about 200 different types of cancers if not more or less but they're around there as well hmm. i mean it's a, a very similar kind of condition not saying that alcohol considerably is a direct link to to cancer but it shows you the number of conditions that are uh, associated with drinking yeah i mean if you look worldwide 3 million deaths every year Uh, it's result from harmful use of alcohol and this represents 5.3% of all deaths and 5.3 from all types of deaths it's from from alcohol which is a big huge number actually and overall 5.1% of the global burden of disease and injury is attributable and uh, attributable to alcohol as measured in disability adjusted life years Okay, that, that that's quite a lot, and let, let's just get into that um, in in a in a in a short while. There, there was more on that, right? You were, you were going to say, yeah. I mean, uh, if if it's, it's it's a huge number. I mean, if you look at the losses and of, I mean, it's not something which is a loss of yourself, but then when when someone uses it uh, because that certain person is intoxicated not only loses he or her herself uh their life but also it could you know have a lot of accidents as well uh, which uh, um which kill other people as well of course right okay well let's get into that a little bit more detail but let's let's bring on our first guest uh to the show Andrew Missall he's the director for Wales at Alcohol Change UK And uh, Andrew, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us at the Drive Time Show. No problem at all. No, it's always a pleasure. Ah, oh, great. And uh, um, could you tell us briefly uh, and explain to our listeners about your charity, Alcohol Change UK? And obviously, we know the the great work that you do, and and how it has helped people with alcohol-related addiction. Thank you. Yeah, so we we try to look at alcohol issues a, a, across the board. I mean, obviously, uh, there there are lots of people who who don't drink alcohol, but for those who do, we we try to um, help people who are perhaps drinking a bit too much to um, to cut back and to get control of their drinking with things like our Dry January campaign, which a lot of people will have heard about. A lot of people 
who do drink alcohol uh, yeah. do their best to try and take the whole of January off. And uh, But the, the long-term benefit for that is that it helps a lot of people to drink more moderately mm. du- during the year. Um, we do try to w- raise awareness of, of some of the harms that alcohol can cause, which you've, you've, you've mentioned just now in your, in your previous conversation. That's right, yeah. And, and we, we also try and support uh, services, to, um, to to help people out of, the, of their alcohol problems. And we have, for example, a long-running project called the Blue Light Project, which is about yep. working with the most chaotic drinkers, people whose lives have really become very difficult and uh, they're both experiencing and causing quite a lot mm. of harm because of their very heavy drinking. So really, you know, trying to trying to sort of tackle these issues right, right across from perhaps the milder end right through to the, the very serious end of it. And, and have you found that during COVID... It kind of increased the number of people coming to your charity. Uh, certainly, uh, p- people are providing um, direct support for people with alcohol problems. Uh, a lot of them are saying they're seeing more people coming through. I mean, what we saw during the pandemic, very mm. broadly, is the research indicated that probably around a third of people were just doing what they always did. Uh, around a third of people were drinking less, which may be because people were worried about their health and also because it was much harder to go out to, you know, to go to the pubs in particular. Um, but then there was around a third of people who were drinking more and they, they tended to be people already drinking heavily. Um, and I think in a way it, it's not surprising that we found this fairly large number of people drinking more because alcohol is is a coping mechanism for, yeah. for many people certainly within british society it's it's been called our favorite coping mechanism in these islands mm. and um it's not surprising a lot of people turn to alcohol to cope and i think something i noticed as well certainly in my neighborhood when i was chatting to friends and neighbors yeah. there was this kind of feeling that all the rules of you know life had been turned on its head and all the rules had gone out the window so it's not yeah. surprising maybe that a lot of people thought, well, you know, I'm not really going to worry too much about the normal sort of social rules about alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting because they always talk about the 11Zs, don't they? That's the time you go yeah. there. You've yeah. got a day, you turn up to work, 11Zs, yeah. right, you're going to eat again before lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so there are these un- underwritten rules. So you're yeah. working at home, right? So yeah. your 11Zs can be whatever it wants to be, right? Yeah. It, it, exactly that and this is it i think there was a, a lot of that and i, I remember one of my uh, one of my neighbors saying he was, you know he was quite surprised to see his parents drinking so early in the day because he mm-hmm. thought of them as quite sort of you know moderate people but i you know the, the, as you say you know the people start maybe some people did start having um, you know start having a gin and tonic or a glass of wine at 11 o'clock in the morning because you kind of think well look no one's looking there you, you go you know i, I yeah. can do this i mean the the uh, you know once or twice it's probably not going to cause too much harm sure. but the problem then is if you if you start getting into a habit of mm. doing it um obviously then it, that's when you start to experience the the side effects the adverse consequences and when i i always say you know when people ask me well what makes an alcohol problem i, I always say it's when alcohol gets in the way of other things it's when it's stopping someone from say taking care of their family taking care of their friendships and, and doing the things they need to do when it becomes more when alcohol becomes more important than other things that that's kind of when it starts yeah. to become a problem i think yeah. Mm. yeah i agree with you i mean anything i think in my opinion andrew um uh, alcohol is something which is addictive right so anything that 
in 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 uh, religion of Islam, anything yeah. that intoxicates you, right? Yeah, is is harmful for the society and for yourself as well. And yeah. Islam prohibits from using yes. it. Yes, of so course. So when you prohibit something, right? Uh, then it's there's no way you can use it and then uh for yourself or for you know you cannot even sell it to anyone else uh this is what islam as in teaches as in the ahmadi muslim community we believe that if we cannot take something for ourselves for our benefit then we shouldn't sell it or give it to anyone else um but if if you look at the um uh, according to the uh, world health organization worldwide uh we see that 3 million people die each year because of the harmful use of alcohol uh with 13.5% of all deaths are among those who are 20 to 39 years of old and despite the clear risk um to health controls on the marketing of alcohol are much much weaker uh, do you agree that introducing strict and consistent regulations on uh alcohol marketing would uh, both save and improve the young lives across the world I think alcohol is certainly a substance we we got to treat with care and as you say there are um certain faith communities I mean Islam is a very obvious one where there's a very clear prohibition on on alcohol um similarly in, in Sikhism the the position is is very clear mm-hmm. but I guess we you know I I'm looking having to look at the 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 population as a whole and I think realistically we have to say that certainly within british culture alcohol is not is not going away so in in order to to live with this substance so we have this substance which is potentially quite dangerous but also quite normal and quite embedded um in in our culture is you, you're right we have to look at ways of of managing it uh and we've looked at, i mean the two, the two things the two most obvious things that the research uh shows up are price and availability mm. and so basically the cheaper alcohol is the easier it is to get hold of the more people tend to drink mm-hmm. um i mean price is one if you look at what the governments in wales and scotland have done they've set a minimum price for alcohol which has removed the very cheapest alcohol from the market mm-hmm. um and we're yeah. still waiting to see what what difference that makes mm. um availability now that this is a really interesting one and i i don't quite know where we're going to go with this but uh, we've been looking quite a lot at uh, recently about uh, rapid delivery services because it is so much easier than it used to be to get hold of alcohol and you can have it delivered to your home reasonably uh, cheaply and also very quickly mm. and we're still trying to work out whether this is you know going to cause us problems in the long term uh, because obviously anything that makes it more of a hassle to get hold of anything including mm. alcohol is going to make you more likely to do it less likely sorry to do it so yeah. you know I I really can't be bothered to drive 10 minutes to the supermarket. Oh, I, perhaps I won't have a drink. Oh, but oh, I could have it delivered straight to the doorstep. <laughs> and he's, he's yeah. going to be here. He's going to be here in 15 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's we, we're still trying to work out, really, whether this is going to cause problems or not. But, mm. it's, yeah, it's an area of research, definitely. What about the association with sports events? Because many people get a football match, rugby yeah. match, cricket match at home and then right yeah. get the beers in sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Cuz you know, and do you know, it's very interesting. I've been talking to some people at, um about this uh today because um in you I mean as I'm sure you'll know there's been a couple of um scandals in recent months 
uh, in the world of cricket. There was a mm. report recently on Scottish cricket a few months ago. Yes. A yes. lot of talk about racism in Yorkshire County cricket. Yes. And one of the things that was really interesting when you started digging down into the details is that uh, Muslim and Hindu participants were saying, you know what part of the problem is? It's that there's alcohol everywhere. Alcohol yeah. is so much part of the sport. We're under pressure to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, there's a few aspects of this question of alcohol and sport. There's the, there's the fact that so many t- in so many team sports like cricket and rugby and things, there's pressure from other players to drink. Um, and then there's the fact that the, the sponsorship um, and I think we as an organization have, have been concerned for a long time that so much of the big sporting events are sponsored by alcohol companies, especially because people take their children to, to watch them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, yeah, there's definitely, there's, there is something, there are things we need to do to make sport much more focused on the sport itself and on building community and and helping people to enjoy sport and less focused on the drinking and i think that would that would allow would bring more people into sport people are perhaps put off by the heavy drinking hmm. yeah i agree with you i mean yeah um what are the solutions that the maybe the government can introduce more i mean uh to tackle I mean, this issue uh, of we've certainly addition. argued for um, uh, price controls in in England in um, in much the same way as they already have in Wales and Scotland um, we've been arguing for uh, reform of the um, the duty on alcohol so the tax on alcoholic drinks which we we're seeing some movement on that now the the um, the previous chancellor anyway with the chancellor who's g- g- currently running for the leadership of the Conservative Party <laughs> at the moment, but when he was still Chancellor, yeah. um, promised that due to the tax on alcohol would be reviewed so that it much more reflected the strength of the alcoholic drink. So the stronger the drink, the more tax you pay on it, which which I think makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Um, what do you think so, is better the other way around? Because if it's cheaper, more people will drink it. So if you put um, tax on the cheaper stuff you can get oh, from Tesco and off-licenses, you, you're going to deter that binge drinking, aren't you? Yeah, oh, perhaps I didn't explain that very well. I think the the idea was that basically the more alcohol you were, but I'm you know I'm not I'm not explaining this very well at all. But the the tax system in this country is quite complicated, and the, the idea was to make sure that the more alcohol you buy, uh, the 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 more tax you would you would pay on it, that it would reflect strength. I suppose the idea is that there'd be more tax on stronger drinks to encourage people towards the weaker drinks. Um, so that they're taking in less alcohol, and um, that that has worked in the past. Right, I understand um, now. Yeah, yeah, makes yeah. Sense. sorry, yeah, I didn't, makes didn't explain it very well. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, as you say, in terms of um, advertising and sponsorship, we've we've always said that um, alcohol company sponsorship of sport is much is not a good idea because they reach such a uh, a young audience, and because also it contributes to this sort of drinking culture. Yeah. around sport i mean there's certainly you know there's plenty of other uh forms of advertising and marketing um we need to look at that's right i mean most yeah most uh marketing these days is online um uh which is and i don't know if we're quite up to speed yet on how we're going to you know how no, we should it, best regulate yeah. it. i mean and that that's another conversation for another yeah. time andrew would love to yeah. carry on talking to you but obviously we've got other guests we want to speak to but sure. we're, we're going to cover this again and we'll love to have you back on the drive time Great. show in that chat 
because I still want to talk to you about obviously football. I mean, the gambling related sponsorship on football. You look yeah. at all the shits, it just goes, yeah. doesn't stop. So, anyway, really appreciate yeah, yeah. Your, your time today, Andrew, and thank, thank you, you very much. Okay, cheers. You're welcome. So, there's Andrew Missile, who's the director of Wales at Alcohol Change. So, you know, if you want to get in touch with us, remember you can call us on 0208-687-7878, and you can obviously, you know, get to us on our social media channels and and the handle is always Voice of Islam UK and if you want to specifically send us a message while we're on the Drive Time show, you can do it via at Drive Time, uh, Voice of Islam Drive Time uh, UK as well. So, as I clear, I mean, all of this is really interesting stuff, but there were some really important Islamic points to this conversation before we speak to our next guest. Yeah, I mean, uh, the first, uh, very first Quranic verse, um, that was uh, mentioned and that was revealed uh, the word khamr is used uh, which means wine in, in Arabic um, in the early Meccan period of Islam and um, it's mentioned in chapter 16 verse number 68 uh, where God Almighty says and of the fruits of the date palms and the grapes whence you obtain intoxicating drink and wholesome food verily in that is a sign for a people who make use of their reason. Now, the wisdom in this Quranic revelation was to focus uh, the attention of the Muslims towards intoxication, uh, intoxicating drinks and to allow them to reflect on the issue themselves. And it was a subtle hint of the evils of you know, such intoxicating drinks. Um, which is basically, um, you know, which was taken in 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 uh, uh, in abundance at that time. And Muslims are taught to assess matters objectively and make choices where the consequent advantages outweigh the disadvantages. So the philosophy behind uh, the Islamic prohibition of alcohol is based on the sound principles of choice um, and a harm versus benefit assessment. For example, the Holy Quran states in chapter 2, verse number 220, that they asked thee concerning wine and the game of hazard. Say, in both there is great sin and also some advantages for men, but their sin is greater than their advantage. I mean, of course, when you look at the... Um, the, the sins and, 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 and the harms of alcohol, it's much, much more than the benefits, of course. Um, Thanks for that. That's really useful, and it kind of really does cement in you know why we're talking about this subject. So I wanted to introduce our second guest who is joining us, which is Dr. Gillian Shorter, and she is a senior lecturer in clinical psychology at Queen's University in Belfast. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Gillian to the Drive Time Show. Uh, thank you for joining us, Doctor. It's my pleasure. You can call me Gillian. Ah, Gillian. Straight up Gillian. That's no problem. That's all grand. Because <laughs> you've obviously worked extremely hard for that title, but we well, will... I have, but we're all friends here. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Look, Gillian, I wanted to uh, know about your academic research into alcohol, drug abuse and Kind of what made you decide to choose this field? Well, um, I'm really interested in 
support for people who are experiencing some harm from alcohol and drugs and maybe who don't necessarily want to go for formal treatment for yeah. a range of reasons. Okay. And I think for me, the most interesting thing is that it's never really about the alcohol and drugs. And I know I'm going to say this as a psychologist, but there are so many psychological processes going on underneath. I think the one of the stories I think I always think about whenever I why I do this is because someone very close to me took the courage to go and get help from their excessive drinking. Yeah. And I was just listening to your piece just there before I came on about reflecting on alcohol use. And it takes a lot of strength for someone to go and get help and to decide that they're going to be brave and take that step. And the support service that they accessed said they couldn't come back if they wouldn't attend Alcoholics Anonymous right. in between the counselling. Yeah. And then they just stopped going and they, they wouldn't seek any other help and they didn't try anything else because they had built themselves up to do, make that big step and they just couldn't find any other solutions. So for me, it's really about empowering people to make the changes that they want to make to live the lives that they want to lead. Yeah, right. um, yeah. Uh, sounds great and and as a worthy cause and it makes a lot of sense because it kind of also feeds into the kind of Islamic perspective as well obviously it's categorically says don't take anything that's intoxicating so you can't perform your prayers properly as effects on the relationships and obviously it allows you not to do and be in your senses and it can create wider bigger problems so kind of delves into what your study is about as well looking at the wider concepts of it's not just about being addicted to alcohol how to stop it it's the other related aspects to that as well which is really interesting to to us um, also could you explain to our listeners which you have touched on already about the physical and the psychological and the social harms to actually the individuals and society that are associated with alcohol consumption. Because obviously when we're talking to Andrew, we started touching on sports, touching on all the other wider issues of drinking, drinking at home during lockdown as well. And do you also agree to the harmful effects of alcohol that remain, at, even if you consume it at small and moderate amounts as well, because everyone talks about doing things in moderation, don't they? They certainly do, but unfortunately there isn't really a safe amount for use. Okay. We know that alcohol, I know some people enjoy a drink, and that's okay, and there's no judgment here, certainly, but yep. there's very few vitamins, minerals, there's no real nutrition there, they're pretty empty calories, you know, and there's, the evidence is just so stark there that there really isn't a safe amount for use. Hmm. And the harms are pretty broad, physical there's over 200 diseases that are causally implicated heart disease stroke cancer livers obviously yeah. um, an enormous one but it makes so many other conditions worse stomach problems diabetes so many different things and you had mentioned psychological yes that's my that's my favorite topic there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we think it makes us more relaxed we feel and this is our GABA um, sort of making us feel relaxed, it's dampening the activity in our brain, we get that nice sort of feeling to get started. Um, but sometimes this can, in the long term, increase an on a feeling of unsettledness, low mood and depression, feeling just generally out of sorts, a little bit of anxiousness maybe sometimes. And it can help us develop alcohol-related conditions um, such as dependence or alcohol use disorder that we would see as diagnosed conditions. Hmm. And the one thing we never seem to talk about very often is sleep. And we know sleep is so important for physical function, 
how we feel, our mood, how we interact with people. So as I mentioned before, that GABA is sort of that dampening activity. Yep. Our bodies are so clever. Everything is always about trying to get the balance. So we're constantly trying to sort of adjust our internal processes. So quite often people who maybe have had a few drinks might find that they're waking up around 3, 4 a.m. Right. And this is where our neurotransmitters are trying to balance themselves out. So what we see is a little spike in something called glutamate. And this yeah. is the kind of more excitatory um, kind of neurotransmitters that kind of wake us up and we're going, what's going on here? And why can't I sleep? Yeah. And quite often that can be the alcohol disrupting your sleep and your circadian rhythms. And that can be quite tricky. And I know you've covered quite a few of the bits around the social harm to yeah. individuals and society from your conversation with Andrew. Yeah. Certainly families in that pandemic, we behave a little bit unpredictably sometimes with alcohol, can make our children and young people wonder what's going on. They're trying to make sense of the world. We can get into wee arguments with each other. Yes. <laughs> doesn't matter whether we're in relationships or not. Um, it can change our behavior in many ways. We can feel more aggressive. We can feel more relaxed. We can get ourselves into wee accidents. All sorts of things can happen. Well, unfortunately, and I know there has been a lot of, sort of talk about alcohol being really beneficial. If you enjoy a drink and it's not taking away from your life, mm. um, then that's fine. But unfortunately, it's not really very healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone talks. I mean, when I obviously I don't drink, but wine they have this thing called resveratrol in it, which is supposed yeah. to be good for the for the blood pressure. And they say that that's why people in France have lower blood pressure because they drink so much wine. But actually, through our conversation, that probably isn't necessarily true, I guess, then. Well, I think it's more um, a lot of the studies that have looked at that the effect have been in mice and rats. Yeah. So we're, we're looking sort of at animal models and the amount that they would have to consume to get the benefits would be would be like quite considerable. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and we don't want to encourage that just for the sake of yes. some minor benefits in your in your blood pressure. There mm. are other things that you can do. Um, and go and speak to your GP about that. It's very yeah. serious if you've if got high blood pressure. Yes. And please don't be self-medicating with red wine. It's, it's, <laughs> go, and see yeah. your, go and see your GP. They're wonderful, wonderful humans that don't get enough credit. Yeah. Your GP is the one. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely sure that GP would recommend you something else than uh, yeah. drinking wine. <laughs> um, uh, in your opinion, what could be the main reasons behind drinking culture of today's society? And um, as you know, that men uh, are those who drink more. So what's the reason men get more into drinking than women? Another great question. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different sort of things or different reasons why individuals might use. So it can be things like habit to cope with different things. Uh, men particularly, I think, can feel the social pressure from um, their friends uh, and, and often in men-only sort of friendship groups. There's marketing. I think marketing is one of those under sort of discussed elements. And I know you have talked about it before on on your shows before yeah. in drive time, you know, and they're sort of targeting men and women differently. So males tend to be things like beer and spirits, masculinity, friendship, being powerful and successful um, and sort of winning at life or whatever. And that it seems quite safe and harmless in a lot of these things. And I think sometimes the messages uh, that we sort of receive as men or women um, can be quite problematic when we think about the marketing side of things um, and I think you know when we even with women as well we have seen a sort of rise in marketing towards women about how 
women deserve to drink because they're trying to cope with the daily challenges of life and that they deserve this reward. Men would have it in, in other ways. Maybe they're trying to cope with their partners or yeah. their children or their jobs or, you know, and we're seeing this idea that alcohol as a reward rather than other things that might be more helpful and supportive and um, good for your sort of psychological well-being. And that's not to say, again, if you want to have an alcoholic beverage, that's okay too. But but that these kind of things are marketed as some kind of um, cure-all that really they're not actually. Yeah, no, no I, I totally understand. Um, Gillian, we'd love to carry on talking to you, like literally what I said to Andrew as well, because there's just so much more we want to cover. Oh, but I think we'll probably just... Thank you very much for your time today for joining us. But I've just now just got visions of, um, I don't want to say his name, but he's had a pint and a cigar sitting in the pub thinking that, yes, he's got there and he's achieved what he wanted to do. I think our youth, the younger generation coming through, are seeing through all of that now, especially when they it comes really to... Um, and I think there is a lot of hope, a, a lot of... Um, good positive vibes that are coming through with the work that you're doing and your studies and research is really helping drive that change you know thank, thank you, you so very much. much for that so that was uh, dr gillian shorter who was uh, who is a senior lecturer at in clinical psychology at queen's university in belfast i so thought that was really interesting really fascinating how mm. both our guests who study this subject, who kind of agree with the principles of what the Islamic point of view yeah, is. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, the, the Islamic teachings, uh, according to the Quran, the Ahadith as well, it always go according to the science and the benefits of, you know, humanity. Um, when you look at the life of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace be upon him as well, um, one of the sayings uh, the Holy Prophet it's, it's reported that he has said that every intoxic intoxicant is unlawful and whatever causes intoxication in large amounts a small amount of it is also unlawful I mean such a beautiful you know a saying that anything that is intoxicates you um, doesn't matter and if you take it in a larger amount it will harm you even taking it a little bit mm. is unlawful, is prohibited. It's very interesting because we asked that question to Dr. Gillian, didn't we? Yeah. We said, how much is enough, whatever? And yeah. she said, well, there isn't none of it. So yeah, it's, this exactly. is the, it's exactly that point that, That's that you're exactly mentioning. Exactly that point, yeah. I mean, very well. Um, and another hadith uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, the Prophet uh, of Islam says that the followers of the Prophet are forbidden from brewing, serving, selling, or storing alcohol. As you know, we've discussed this earlier as well. That if something uh, you're not allowed to take yourself, then of course you're not allowed to give it to others as well. Um, and and I would like to quote another hadith, another saying of the Holy Prophet. Um, uh, on another occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, reported to have said that there are three who will not enter paradise. One who is addicted to wine, one who breaks ties of relationship, and one who believes in magic. I mean, the, the first two are actually, you know, something which is related. So one who is addicted to wine or alcohol, you know, uh, it's, it's very common. Of those who are alcoholic, mm. uh, to you know, they they do they 
because they're not in, in their senses, they fight a lot, okay? And that actually ends the relationship between, you know, husband and wife. Because you're talking about here, not just specifically about being addicted to alcohol, it's the wider connotations yeah. that have an effect not on the individual, but the relationships and the society. society That's kind of well. what it's uh, explaining what in it detail. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, make uh, makes a lot of sense. So we're going to be talking to our last guest today, uh, Justina Murray, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Scottish Families that are Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. And it's wonderful to have Justina joining us today on the Drive Time Show. Welcome to the Drive Time Show, Justina. Good afternoon. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, would you please, in brief, Tell us a little bit about your charitable organisation and how you have supported individuals and families who suffer with alcohol-related addictions because it is so important. Kind of feeding well into the conversation that we're having today. Thanks, Justina. Of course. So Scottish Families supports anybody who's concerned about somebody else's alcohol or drug use in Scotland. So we don't work directly with the people using substances. We support their um, family members. So that could be anybody within their family or social network, um, including friends and work colleagues and so on, who are concerned. And what we find is where there's substance use within the family, it's very, very hidden. There's so much stigma and shame and secrecy surrounding it and yet families can experience really huge harm. I know today we're focusing in particular on alcohol. So families can experience poor mental health, they become very isolated, there can be a big financial impact, and also um, relationship challenges and conflict. So there's so many issues going on for families, and we work with them to um, help them understand what's going on and um, think about a whole new way of of being within their family to understand the impact and, and um, yeah, work in a different way. Mm. Sure. I mean, great work that you're doing. Uh, I mean, um, according to the ONS Scotland and, and Northern Ireland, uh, where the UK cons- uh, constituent countries with the highest alcohol specific death rates in 2020 with uh, 21.5 and 19.6 deaths per 100,000 persons resp- uh, respectively. In your opinion, what are the causes behind the higher death ratios? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can see these different um, death rates uh, across different parts of the UK. But um, Scot- the latest figures in Scotland were issued last week. And really sadly, you know, that was another 1,245 people who lost their lives uh, last year through alcohol. And we can see there's lots of things that lie behind the, the differences within different countries. But looking at Scotland in particular, you know, there are higher rates of alcohol consumption and Scotland has got a really long-standing, unhealthy relationship with alcohol, there's no doubt. Mm. It's very much built into Scottish culture around, you know, whether you're celebrating, commiserating or marking any kind of life event, you know, alcohol is part of that picture. But also in Scotland, we have very high rates of deprivation and we saw that coming through the alcohol death statistics as well, where there was a five and a half, more than a five and a half times higher chance of dying through alcohol Hmm. if you lived in one of the most deprived areas compared to the least deprived areas. So there's lots and lots going on um, in Scotland that that lead to this really worrying picture around alcohol deaths. Hmm. And and the statistics show that the rates of male alcohol-specific deaths are twice those of females. And we've asked this 
uh, we've discussed this with the previous guest as well. Do you also deal more with males uh, as compared to females regarding the alcohol-related issues? Um, and yeah, and uh, and what what could be the reason of of this beha- behavior? Yeah, so flipping that around, we deal more with female um, members of the family because, of course, they're concerned by more males than females. So, it's you know, we work with more female family members because traditionally they are more concerned about male family members. Mm. So you can definitely see that pattern coming through of more men being harmed themselves through alcohol. And again, it's important to remember that both men and women are using alcohol harmfully and it can be particularly challenging flipping that the other way again for a, a male family member to come forward with concerns about their loved one who's female. So there's lots and lots of gender issues going on. Mm. But we we do know that men do drink more harmfully and they also seek support for their own drinking later. So so um, health issues have maybe worsened by the time that, that, that they reach out for support. But there's also some concerning trends around women. So these, the, the, the patterns that you mentioned around men and women aren't particularly changing over time. Hmm. But what we are seeing is that women on average are dying at a slightly younger age, you know, on average a year younger than hmm. the average age for men. So there's lots to be concerned about around both men and women's drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, if you, for the benefit of our listeners, what advice could you give to... You know, to to our listeners um they you know uh, some of them might come to you as well with their problems of of drinking that how can you prevent from happening or or being addictive to alcohol uh, what advice would you give to them well that's that's a huge question and if there was one easy answer to that we wouldn't have problems with substance use but what we find is often families come to us at a time of crisis So, in fact, they have tried to manage themselves. They felt too ashamed to ask for help until things have really escalated to a situation which isn't manageable anymore. So I would say to any family members, you know, don't wait. Do come forward. You know, help is there. um, And we're happy to support family members who who are, are looking for that support. But, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why people drink harmfully. Sometimes it's part of the, um, you know, the culture of the people around them. And that's, you know, you just become part of that. But we saw, for example, during the COVID pandemic, that a change in the way people live their lives can also increase alcohol harm. Mm. So we saw people were, um, you know, their, their kind of... Um, lifestyle pattern change you know maybe working from home feeling it was a bit or maybe they were furloughed so a bit more in holiday kind of drinking patterns or also people were stressed and anxious so so drinking more and just boredom in some cases as well and so you know you can see kind of changes in life circumstances like that really having an impact on alcohol harm yeah i mean justina this kind of feeds into our last question to you and this kind of relates also to smoking as well because many people who've talked to people who are drinking and smoking they say well we pay the taxes and therefore that taxes is what pays for say the NHS um, but statistics are showing now that actually it's three times higher than what the exercise duty is on alcohol so for example 
the this might be twenty billion pounds in cost to the NHS for drinking related situations, but actually the government or the excise duty is only seven billion. So it kind of defeats that argument. Therefore, what would you say or what could the government do to reduce the levels um of this because it is a massive problem? It's it's quite a spurious argument as well, isn't it? To say yeah. we should sell more alcohol to get more tax income to be able to help more people who are harmed through alcohol. It's, you know, a slightly slightly odd argument. So as we can see from the alcohol death figures, you know, those the figures that were just published in Scotland are only people who've specifically died through things like alcohol liver alcoholic mm. liver disease and so on. But, you know, there's also accidents and violence and, you know, lost days at work and so many different health issues. Um, you know, so, so the, the cost of alcohol to society is absolutely huge. Yeah. So in terms of reducing that harm, um, there, there's kind of a couple of things we want to look at. First of all, there's what's called the best buys in terms of alcohol harm. So we know that these things are evidence-based and they'll have a big impact. And that includes the price of alcohol and also its availability, you know, the fact it's so easy to get alcohol all the time, and also marketing, you know, not just obvious market, marketing around adverts, but also through social media and through the way that film and TV tell, tell their stories. So price, availability and marketing are all really important to look at. But also we need to make sure when people do reach out for support that the right support is there. And I have to say in Scotland just now, we do not have good enough alcohol treatment care and support when people are looking um, you know, to reach out for help for the first time. Okay, two very fantastic examples. Uh, one that I hope the government, if you're listening, all the politicians out there, take heed of that because it makes very sensible um, points there. And yet, price availability, because we discussed it earlier, you can get alcohol delivered to your home on an app within seconds and it's just there rather than put your coat on, rainy weather, go to the superstore and go buy the alcohol. You can just, on a click of your phone, have it delivered to your home. So the availability and accessibility and the price is, is definitely two important factors. And that support, we know that the cuts in grants and to local authorities, to the NHS, it, it's just not working. So you're right. Well, Justina, thank you very much for your time today and I really appreciate you answering our questions and we wish you the best of luck with your charity, the work that you do in Scotland. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. So that was uh, Justina Murray. She's the Chief Executive Officer at Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. Again, the theme's the same, right? Yeah. It's... um, this statistic that we gave earlier about people say that the taxes that we receive on the levy of alcohol and obviously this would be uh, cigarettes and I guess at one point we might even have this on the the drugs you know which uh, will become legal and you can buy um, normally in high street the same argument will be applied to there but the reality is the the costs that are there are way higher, aren't they? Yeah, I mean the costs are way higher, but then people will always find ways to 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 buy it if it's legal and if it's still available, of course. Um, when when you look at the uh, the Islamic point, yeah. um, 
Hazrat Abdullah ibn Abbas uh, narrated uh, that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of be upon him, said, Again, there is another hadith, you know, um, emphasizing on all the quotes yes. and the sayings of the Holy Prophet uh, in regards to uh, the alcohol. And he says that abstain from khamr, khamr is uh, alcohol, because it is the key source of all evils. I mean, if you think um, alcohol is used, you know, at times um, when... Uh, for example, at, uh, you know, at, at pubs and, and other places. Yeah, as well. uh, funerals, uh, uh, birthdays, birthdays, celebrations, yeah. weddings, you name it, every celebration. Every has, celebration yeah. has been used. But then, the, the, the yeah. like you said, you know, the effects of it yeah. is evil. And, and you don't know what you're doing, but then r- afterwards you realize that you've done a huge mistake and you can't redo it, of course. Yeah. And this is why <laughs> Islam literally prohibits um, Can I ask why do you refer to it as evil? Because it kind of feels like is it evil? I'm having a good time. <laughs> Explain to me why I mean, you I mean, use the word evil. Uh, is this satanic? Is it evil? Because it, you know, the, when when you do it, when you drink it, you will not be in your senses, and uh, like you, see, you know, you see your Satan, then you know, you will be influenced by Satan, and you will yeah. be doing stuff that are not acceptable yeah right you will be harming yourself others as yeah. well because you know you everyone knows that when you're not in your senses you literally do whatever <laughs> yeah and you don't <laughs> remember uh, it either if you yeah. if you are properly uh, intoxicated yeah you will don't remember what you said or what you did yeah exactly yeah. so this this is why it's you know it, it's it's called uh, evil right mm. and, you know you might think okay it's it's fun i mean uh, you get drunk and all that okay you get uh, together with your friends your family but then a lot of things can happen yeah you know i was i was speaking to one of my friends uh many years ago and and he was talking to his neighbor and he was saying that um um the the neighbor he came to up to him and he said that uh I, um, you know, I made a huge mistake, right? So they, uh, he drank and with another neighbor, other friends, they were, you know, in a party, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and two friends, they were both married happily. They had kids, they, you know, they, they mm. had wives. And uh, one person had uh, a relationship yeah. with the other wife, yeah. right? And afterwards they came to know about this. Both of the, you know, the families they broke, yeah. uh, and 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 the, the children. I mean, there's the future of the children. Yeah, irreparable also. damage yeah. in that respect. I mean, this yeah. is this is you know, a Muslim friend is, is telling me that this happened to them. Yeah. I mean, but then if you still don't, you know, this this is this is something that pr- this is this is what 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 the Holy Prophet meant with evil. Because you think, okay, it's it's just a party, you're drinking, yeah. okay, uh, there's nothing, no harm with it. But then the consequences of it is something which is evil, of course. I mean, it's very similar to what Hazrat Mizakhlam Ahmed, who is the promised Messiah and the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. I mean, he, he states that many times it happens that if a certain thing is not widespread enough, then its effects cannot be known. But we now know all the effects and therefore it suggests there that it's so widespread and then take for instance he says the prevalence of alcohol 
nowadays in places like Europe. Yeah. If this prevalence did not occur, then how could its negative effects become manifest? Yeah. From which the world today seeks refuge, like mm. you, in your example with your friend as well. Mm. And by its prevalence, the beauty of Islam and the messenger, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, he mentioned that Islam, who stops this vice and deems it unlawful. And that's also written in the Mulfazat volume 3, and that's uh, page uh, 405, and it's on the volume London 1984. So the Mulfazats are the the words of the promised Messiah, yep. which people can read, and, and you read it many times. Hmm. His Holiness, who is the current leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, um, he's the fifth caliph, and he said that alcohol and gambling are commonplace. These are available everywhere, even in places where there is a restriction on them. Not only are they commonplace in these countries, people are tempted to and lured to them. Every service station, every store promotes gambling through fruit machines, as shirk which you mentioned as well, yeah. uh, is really important. And if there's no obvious idols, there are many idols, and your uh, consciousness is all affected by them. And we can talk about this in much more detail, but here's the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show for the second hour on a Tuesday, which is the 16th of August 2022. And in the first hour, we were talking about alcohol and the alcohol deaths that are on the rise. And we managed to speak to many of our guests and our esteemed experts in that field. And now in the second hour, we are going to be talking about something a little bit different, but obviously related as well. And we're going to be talking about the Hajjat. The Hajjat, it's actually a voluntary prayer within Islam and as per the Arabic language it means to cast away sleep and then stand up and when you mean by stand up you mean stand up to pray and juhad means to struggle signifying the struggle of getting up after sleep so we're going to delve into a lot more detail and we'll talk about a lot more with our guests but I wanted to just remind our listeners that you know you can get in touch with us on 0208-687-7878 and get in touch with us on the normal social media handles that's at Voice of Islam UK so and if obviously if you want to send us a message send us an email you could do that um, around the world so so clear this is a really interesting subject for me as well it's always good to get a reminder when we talk about these type of subjects yeah because people they do their prayers then and but they don't always sometimes go to the mosque yeah where mosque is very important for someone to go to the mosque mm -hmm, of course and then when you do the extra prayer like the hajjah 
then people need to be reminded sometimes. People do have it as a habit. But having these discussions and understanding it kind of reiterates this idea and people are able to reflect. So these type of subjects, when we talk about them on Voice of Islam radio, especially on on drive time, it gives us an opportunity to remember why it's so important that we do tahajjud. So just obviously the, the word... Tahajjud, it, it's a voluntary prayer, an Arabic yeah. word, but it means to cast away sleep yeah. and then stand up to pray. When it means cast away sleep, is it because there's a certain time when you actually read this prayer? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the, it, the, 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 the start of a Tahajjud is basically, um, for, for those who are not familiar to the prayers in Islam, there mm. are five yeah, you know, okay, yeah. compulsory prayers. Mm. So those five prayers you cannot miss. Mm. So to make it even easier for people to do sometimes if you're at work and you, there is no facility to mm. pray, you can even combine two prayers together. But then in total you have to pray five prayers. Yes. And apart from that, and that's compulsory, and the the hajjid prayer is a voluntary prayer that you do in order to become even closer to god almighty and this is this starts from um so when when you sleep uh, after the last the fifth prayer mm. and when you wake up uh whenever you wake up at one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock whenever but you know it it starts then and then it finishes just uh before the the first prayer of the day so that's called the Fajr prayer, and uh, the Fajr prayer starts roughly, you know, seventy to ninety minutes before the sunrise. And this is how we know that, you know, if you have to pray the Hajj, then we have to wake up yeah. even bo- before that time, basically. So you know, they, they talk <coughs> about having a good eight hours sleep, or when you're growing, you have longer hours sleep. Yep. But actually, if you went to sleep after your last prayer in the day, which is yep. known as Isha mm-hmm. prayer, and that is done after sunset. So yep. now in the summer months, you're not doing that prayer till about nine o'clock in the evening yeah. anyway, right? Obviously, in the winter month, it becomes much earlier. Yeah. And and it's only just become less before nine o'clock. Before, it was about 9.30, not so long ago. Yeah. So then you come home, you go from the mosque, you eat some food, and you go to sleep, and then you wake up but by the time you have to wake up for tahajjud prayer you haven't had the eight hours sleep no. but there are studies that are now suggesting yeah that having that break for very many different reasons hmm. it's kind of more healthier now because science is kind of playing catch up again yeah with what islam teaches us yeah exactly um you know like you said uh human being usually uh youngsters as well uh the younger you age, the more you need to sleep, of course. And eight hours is something which is required for someone to sleep. But then uh, they say that even four hours is enough, right? And the extra hours that you sleep is bonus. And if you sleep six hours, then it's sufficient to in order to uh, think, function your, bo- uh, in, uh, your body yeah. uh, normally. Uh, so eight hours is a perfect time. In this. If you can eight, sleep eight hours, you won't be tired during the day. Um, so according to the historian Roger uh, Eckerg, uh, many of our modern health problems have roots in the way we ignore the body's natural preference for broken sleep. 
his research found that before the discovery of uh, artificial light, humans slept for a few hours before uh, waking to engage in activities and then going back to sleep. So the the human body before our alarm clock, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we you know they used to wake up, they used to do their essential works, and then they used to sleep, hmm. right? So this is how how we Muslims do as well. So um, we wake up for tahajjud, we pray the first uh, prayer of the day, yeah. and then we sleep until whenever we have to wake up for for our for, for jobs and and, yeah. and schools and etc. Yeah, etc. Yeah. And uh, we we're kind of used to it now. Yeah. Because it keeps changing, the times keeps changing, goes up and down. I but really like this concept of it changing all the time. Yeah. Because you get to experience things. Yeah. That you, if you lived in one part of the world and it was always the same, you lived here, you wouldn't understand, you know, having longer, shorter days. Yeah. Um, it's the same with when we fast. Yeah. Living here in this country, because it's based on a lunar month, for mm-hmm. example, you get to experience everything, yeah. right? So it's the same thing here as well. I mean, one of the sayings of the Promised Messiah, who is the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he said that, I mean, it's a very profound kind of um, saying based on um, what we're talking about today. He said, if our entire lives are spent in world engagement, what will we have accumulated for the hereafter? Hmm. Yeah. And, and make special effort to wake up for Tahajjud and offer it with favour and joy. I wanted to ask you about this question about joy. People say, well, I'm getting up, I'm breaking my sleep. Where would I get that joy <laughs> <laughs> from? And, and I've been playing a little bit devil's advocate, but, but yeah. it's people listening in will say, well, I need my sleep. Yeah, why, why would I wake up so early? Yeah. I mean, so, so what is what does the Prophet Messiah mean when he talks about offer it with fervor, but and joy? You know, therefore, there must be some enjoyment in it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, as Muslims, right? Those who pray five times daily and r- truly believe in God Almighty and try to find God, mm. right? The way we find God is through prayers, right? Through prayers, we ask, we constantly pray and he answers our prayers he says inni qareeb i am i'm close to you you know aduni inni qareeb you you pray to me i'm close to you and i will answer your prayers and this is what gives you the joy so the moment you pray and from a young age as muslims as well we teach our youngsters as well your our, our children that pray whatever you need and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that even if you need uh, laces of your shoes, let's say it's, you, it's, it's broken or you lost your laces, even if you have to ask for that, ask so that you can you know, have a connection with God that when you find your prayers to be answered, you find the joy. So the tahajjud prayer is a prayer when, you know, it's basically a prayer or jahada means to strive. Yeah to 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 wake up at a unusual time to connect with your creator when you do that at the time when everyone is sleeping right um then at that moment you feel really really close because it's no one you feel like no one is there it's only you and god almighty and when you feel the connection with prayer this is what it means with with you feeling the joy and I can tell with my own experience, the days I pray tahajjud, I feel 
extremely good. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything is going well, right? Yeah. It's a natural thing. Yeah. The day I miss the Hajjat, I feel like, okay, there's something missing, <laughs> right? And then th- with my own experience yeah. with you as well, yeah. you definitely have experiences yeah. that when you prayed in, in those Tahajjit prayers or in these voluntary prayers, mm. right? And you prayed for something and God Almighty listened to your prayers yeah. and you, you saw it happening yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what when, when you feel so much happiness in yourself that yes, there is someone who's listening to me. Yeah. And, and, th- and, and I really love the way you I- explain that. Because many people sometimes feel, well, God doesn't listen; He's not there. But actually, many people are able to give examples within their life where God has actually listened to them exactly. in their time of need and in their time of enjoyment and yeah. and everything, good, bad, and and then likely you name it. God is there listening and helping you. Yeah, it's really interesting. Also, based on what you said earlier, even after listening to the historian Roger Eckrich, where you mentioned earlier, but Doctor. Tamara Gray, who's a founder of Rabata, it's an organization that's dedicated to promoting kind of positive cultural change, who has written extensively on this sleep and prayer. Yeah. Right? It says that it is a time to examine our expectations of sleep as a source of energy. Right. So one thing I experience is after I go back to sleep after my morning prayer, it's my most favorite, best sleep I ever oh, had. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? And you feel so much fresher. Yeah. And I don't know if you've experienced that yourself or not. I mean, I mean, I feel definitely fresher when I wake up after. So when I sleep, it it does. I have struggled sleeping after Fajr, so it takes time, right? I can't sleep immediately. So slowly, slowly, when I sleep and when I wake up, I do definitely yeah. feel more fresher. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because then the study then goes on to say yeah. is that while there's no doubt that the human body needs sleep, which we all are understanding, we talk about this eight-hour sleep, but there's also no doubt that the human soul needs prayer to stay energized, healthy, yeah. and hopeful. Yeah. That's that's the love the word hopeful because we need a purpose in life, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then when you have a connection that you're developing with God Almighty, it gives you a purpose and yeah. you feel hopeful. And it's really interesting. And then it continues to reiterate that the importance of nurturing both body and the soul when it comes to rest and sleep. So when the soul and the body are exhausted, as they are for most people today, it can feel that like no amount of rest will ever be enough. Hmm. It's really interesting, isn't it, that yeah. you keep going, you want to work, you want to put maximum hours in 24 hours, but there's only physical 24 hours. Yeah. But what they're saying is that take time out, relax, you and find relax and purpose in your prayers, especially we're talking about Dajjad prayer today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the the the... Prayers are actually also, you know, a break of 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 your work you do. For example, when you when you when you constantly working and working hard, but then when you take your time out to pray, you feel like you've rested, and and it doesn't take that long, you know. Fajr, Zohar, Asr, yeah. Maghrib, Isha, the the five daily prayers. I mean, how much would it take? Like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. But the, the the moment you rest, the the moment uh, you the the times you pray, it's basically the times when you actually, you know, resting and you're 
regaining your energy, yeah. basically. That sounds great. So we're going to talk to our first guest who joined us today, Mobin Ahmed, but he's a youth leader of the Ahmed Muslim Youth Association of Bilstedt in Germany. So just to reiterate that although he's a youth leader of the Ahmed Muslim community from in Germany, we also have youth leaders within our community all over the world. Yep. But it's great for us to be able to talk to Mobin Ahmed uh, but from from Germany in Bilstead. Welcome to the Drive Time Show, and thank you for joining us today, Mobin. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're most welcome. I mean, we're talking about obviously the Hajjat, and we're talking about the importance of it, and and how it's all explained. But how important have your parents' prayers and their example been in influencing you and your love for faith? I think it was very important yeah. and I think nobody can even remember or even appreciate the effects that a parent prayer could have over your own life, especially for me because I had a difficult upbringing with many uh, setbacks in life. I could see how the prayers of my parents would help me like straighten back my life back to normal. Hmm. Really powerful stuff. So the challenges that you had and having a relationship with God Almighty through the examples of your parents really helped you to have a better life in in a way. And so do you think that young people especially underestimate the power of prayer? 100%, like definitely, because there are so many narrations uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah on how the tahajjud has to be performed and how what effects could have could there have been for the tahajjud prayer i can remember one saying where it says that the the prayer that is done in tahajjud is just like an arrow that doesn't miss a shot right oh, remember like that, that yeah. you could have everything you can like you can want mm-hmm. and pray to your lord and creator directly at that time when nobody merely is remembering god because they're sleeping mm-hmm. And I think that's very powerful. Yeah, it is. It is definitely powerful. Yeah, uh, as we uh, as we are discussing today uh, uh, in regards to the Hajjat prayer, how has this powerful prayer personally impacted you? So, especially in uh, nowadays time, where we have uh, many crises in the world and we have chaos in the world, he gave me uh, it gave me peace, gave me sol- the solace I was looking for in the world in accordance with one, uh, one of Allah's names, which is As-Salam, the source of peace. Mm-hmm. You can imagine uh, the peace that Allah has and Allah gives is unlimited. And thus, through the Hajjah prayer, I could get some records of that peace for myself in order to have like a paradise created mm-hmm. on earth at that special timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when th- That's uh, something that you have experienced, but then when you look at people, they uh, they struggle praying the five daily prayers, right? Um, and and uh, it's it's very difficult for them to wake up even earlier for tahajjud prayer. So how can people truly engage in the essence of the tahajjud prayer when there is so many uh, worldly distractions? So I think um, there are many answers to this, but for me myself. I think you must know the advantages and the benefits of that prayer. And just like in school or university, if you know you have an important upcoming test, hmm. right, or some batches you have to give, right, you know it's very important. Thus, you will leave everything aside and just be focused on that point, on that project or the very important stuff that you have to do. 
and if you truly know what uh, the as what uh, the essence of the Hajj prayer is, what it can bring or help to you, then you would leave everything aside and just be focused on the Hajj. Hmm. You should God ask God for God first. So if you want uh, to perform the Tahajjud prayer, you should um, make yourself ready. You should ask God even to help you in order to have this pathway cleared up for you. Hmm. I mean, ask uh, God in the normal daily prayers uh, and then uh, uh, that may God enable us to pray this very important prayer, which is not compulsory. But then if this prayer, voluntary prayer is prayed, it's, it's, it could be very powerful. Um, and, and, and lastly, from my side, um, uh, before I hand over to Hanif Sab, uh, if he might, he might have a few questions for you as well. Uh, the, the power of prayer is not necessarily getting what you want, but uh, being content with what Allah wills for you. So how can young people especially uh, understand this concept? So Allah the Almighty has stated in the second chapter of the Holy Quran in the verse of uh, 217 He stated, but it may be that you dislike a thing while it is good for you And it may be that you like a thing while it is bad for you mm -hmm. Allah knows all things and you know not mm -hmm. We need to be aware that we have limited control of our life So we can't control everything We can't control many things actually Thus knowing after, uh, after knowing this, right? Mm. The, answer, the question is quite answered because then we ultimately know that God is in control over everything. It can, uh, it can be, for example, I'm going uh, to school tomorrow or to university tomorrow, tomorrow and then I'll have um, an, a car accident. Mm -hmm. I don't have control over, over this. Yeah. And uh, just like in this example, we need to be sure and we, we need to know that many things are not in our control. Thus, we need to be, thus it is the answer that we are content with the decision and the decree that Allah the Almighty has willed for us. Hmm. Fantastic. I really appreciate your honesty and the way you have described your personal impact in your own life as well. Just before I let you go, I wanted to ask about this Hajjah prayer. Did you do it consistently or did you find a time in your life when it was useful and then you stopped for a little while and did you get back to it again or did you just make it into a habit of your of your daily life then? I, I'm not doing it like regularly. Yeah. It's like there are phases in my life where I'm doing it and then there are phases where I'm just staying on the nawafil but not on the tahajjud. But even for those times where I'm focused on tahajjud, it gave me that comfort, that peace I was looking for. Fantastic. I mean, I think that would be applied to most people as well. You know, when you've got a difficult time in your life, you, you become focused, like you said, um, in your answers. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much, uh, Mubin, for your time today. And uh, the best of luck in everything you, you do in the future and the work that you do for the community as well. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Bye for now. So, uh, so clearly that was um, really interesting, mm. right? And the reason why... People feel that when you do your prayers, which not the compulsory ones, but the extra ones, you've got to be full on all the time. Yeah. But you don't have to, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the with your daily works as well, when you don't put the extra effort to just do something extraordinary or out of the the routine, then I don't think you can you can improve in whatever you're doing. So in order to be better in something, you have to take another way or find another way or 
do the extra struggle. And I think in 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 our in regards to our prayers as well, this extra push is our tahajjud prayer, and this is what you know what brings us closer to God Almighty. Mm. Um, in a, in my opinion as well. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right, and I, there was a um, a, a narration by Hazrat Abu Huraira, wasn't there? But the Holy Prophet he said, yeah. Um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon well, well, him, yeah. said that uh, Satan puts three knots at the back of the head of any of you if he is uh, asleep. On every knot he reads and exhales the following words, the night is long, go stay asleep. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we think of this as well, right? Oh, this is too long, Let's, we've got enough to sleep. And then he says that when one wakes up and remembers Allah, one knot is undone. Yeah. And when one performs ablution, the second knot is undone. So in ablution, we uh, clean ourselves with water and basically we're preparing physically for yeah. the prayer. And when one prays, the third knot is undone and one gets and, and one gets up energetic with a good heart in the morning. Otherwise, one gets up lazy and with a mischievous heart. So, I mean, uh, very beautifully explained that all the three knots are open like this, that... Uh, you know, every the Satan wants you to sleep. You know, stay sleeping because you've got that comfortable bed, and it's uh, uh it's maybe raining outside, etc., uh, etc. Et but when you when you make that effort, you wake up, you're breaking the knot, and you say, okay, no, I have to do this. And similarly with with everything as well. I mean, in your life, I mean, it, it it relates very closely to what the word tahajjud means. Right? Yeah. In your opening kind of statement, where you said was that tahajjud. Is it's a voluntary prayer, but within Islam, as per the Arabic language, it means that to cast away sleep, yeah, and then stand up to pray, yeah. Right. So if you're going to do tahajjud, it means you're going to struggle, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so these three knots to get through those three knots and get them undone is exactly what tahajjud is, right? Tahajjid so is, it's yeah. a, such a perfect saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Yeah. I mean, a study which examined the effects of discrimination and spirituality on the sp- on on depression with a sample of uh, the Muslims found uh, that offered uh, that offering daily prayers were associated with a lower likelihood of reporting increased levels of rep- and depressive symptoms. So, this shows that offering prayers overall plays a role in mental health wellness as well yeah. I mean it's got so much benefit and and one of it is the uh, you know uh, in regards to mental health as well uh, also a uh, an article described a number of specific health benefits that can be achieved through the physical acts of waking up and offering tahajjud prayer I mean sometimes we don't really realize what other benefits it could give uh, apart from spirituality um, one of is uh, improving immunity, which yeah. can also help expel various diseases. Yeah, um, improves blood circulation. So during our prayers, many of our limbs are used from the palms of our hands to our head, and these movements uh, accelerate blood circulation. So your head is basically leveled with your with your leg. So this way. Your blood circulation is even and goes everywhere. So it's a. Uh, I mean, I've, I've thought about this quite a lot. Yeah, 
And when you reflect on it, and when you stand up to pray, yeah. and you're tired, and you're looking at the Hajj prayer, and maybe with the other prayers as well, but here we're talking specifically about Hajj. Yeah. So you're standing, you're doing your prayer, and you're getting into the rhythm, and you're getting into your prayer. So you stand up, then you bow down. So the blood pressure that gets to your head is a bit more. Yeah. You're waking up a little bit more, and then you stand up. And then you go down, all the way down, and you put your head on the floor where the then the blood rushes straight to your brain. To your brain, yeah. And it wakes you up and makes you more in tune. Yep. So at that moment, when you're at the lowest and when you're asking for prayers from God, you're the most awake. So it's kind of getting yourself. You don't just suddenly wake up, roll out of bed, and put your head on the ground, do you? Yeah. You don't. You go through a whole process yeah. of waking yourself up, getting in the right frame of mind. And then when you need Allah's help the most, yeah. You are at your most lowest position, that's the, and you have the blood rushing to your brain, and you're most awake and most in tune. In tune, yeah. Right. Very interesting point that you yeah. mentioned that you're, you know, you are at that time your blood is flushing uh, towards your uh, the brain, and you're active at that time. And and like you said, um, we've discussed this earlier as well that yeah. one of the knot and the first knot is when you wake up. Yeah. And uh, and and do the ablution that prepares your body as well, right? With with uh, with water. Um, another benefit of yeah. uh, the hajjat prayer or prayer overall is lifting the both palms during the hajjat can open lungs, uh, the lung uh, cavities, mm. and hence the blood flow to the lungs becomes more fluent. So when when we start the prayer, we usually stand up and then raise our hand up. Right, and then we fold our hands in in front of our chest. So this is a movement that we do, and this is basically good for your lungs as well. Uh, another benefit uh, includes relaxing neck muscles, preventing back pain, and preventing stiffness in the lungs, uh, in the in the leg as well. So it, you know your whole body is basically uh, benefiting from the the, the prayer. So many, you know, uh, illnesses mm. or problems you can get rid of if you uh, pray in a regular basis. It's so interesting. We're going to play a pre-record next, but in relation to this and all the examples that you gave, there's a hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings, or Allah be upon him. He has said, um, "I'll let you say the Arabic words because I'll probably say it wrong." But the English translation is. Is that verily there is a cure in salat? Yeah, in uh, in fisalati uh, shifa. Shifa, right. So, so there is shifa. There is a cure uh, in salat, and yeah. you just described all these a load of examples I mean, there. Yeah, this as is well. this is scientifically proven, and all these benefits is only and only from prayers. Yeah, that's right. right. So we're going to play this uh, pre-record. It, it's a really good interview uh, that. Imam Sheikh Sharjil did with one of our our guests, Farhan Iqbal Saab. He's uh, an Ahmadi Muslim missionary from Canada. And it was kind of talking a lot about the really basic A, a to B kind of answers and questions uh, about, you know, does the Hajjah need to be done in congregation? That's a question that mm. gets asked quite a lot. It's really interesting to listen to. And many more questions like that. And how often should an Ahmadi Muslim aim to offer the Hajjah? Because we discussed this. So mm. this was a, a conversation between the two, which we'll, which we'll play next. Here you are. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. We are pleased to have Farhan Iqbal, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in Canada. 
Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and Jazakallah for, for joining us. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah and uh, Jazakallah for having me. Now to begin with, what is the difference between offering your nawafil prayers, your voluntary prayers, straight after your Isha prayers, the, the which are the night prayers, and offering the tahajjud prayer, which is the pre you know the the pre dawn prayer? Yeah, so uh, both of them are basically nawafil prayers. They're they're voluntary. Um, they just have a you know tahajjud prayer, as you mentioned, is before dawn, and uh, nawafil prayers can be offered any other time of the day. But uh, the the big difference is, the, you know, f- to begin with, uh, in the Holy Quran, Allah says, "Azubillahi min al-shaytan rajim wa min al-layli fatahajjad bihi nafilatallah," and offer uh, tahajjad uh, with the recitation of the Quran in a part of the night as a voluntary service for you. So, in in other words, tahajjad is something that is specifically mentioned and encouraged in the Holy Quran, and that would obviously be one of the main and big uh, differences the other the other thing we we should remember is that in islam when it, when it comes to our prayers we follow the model of the holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in, in the holy quran allah says wama ataakum ataakum rasulu fakhuzuhu wama nahaakum anhu fantahu which means that whatsoever the messenger that is prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam whatever he gives you whatever uh, he does you should take it you should follow it and whatever he forbids you from you should abstain from it so it's a clear injunction for us to follow what the holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam did and we see that in his life he should uh, he he used to offer tahajjud prayer very regularly i mean he offered other nawafil prayers as well but he was very particular about tahajjud prayer and there's one narration from hazrat bilal radhiyallahu where he narrates that the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, you should be very regular in tahajjud. That has been the practice of the righteous ones in the past and is a means of attaining nearness to God. This is a habit that safeguards against sin, removes blemishes, and safeguards from physical illness. And so that, you know, we see the, we see the emphasis that has been laid upon tahajjud, unlike other nawafil uh, prayers. And of course, the, the 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 difference would be that we go to bed, we 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 uh, we are expected to have some sleep and then wake up for tahajjud prayer. So the extra effort and the sacrifice of sleep that is involved makes this the the this uh, tahajjud prayer, the nafil prayer, which is offered in the morning, uh, a lot more rewarding. And because we are making that special sacrifice, there is obviously greater reward in this uh, in this prayer. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for um, clarifying that as well. Talking about Sahajjad prayer in particular, as we, you know, we're talking about this um, on our show, prayers in Islam, uh, which are the five obligatory prayers, they are normally done uh, or they are told uh, to be done in congregation, um, particularly in the mosque. Now, what about the tahajjud prayers? Does that need a congregation as well? Do they can they be offered in congregation, or is it better to do it in person? Or, yeah, I mean individually. Yeah. So with tahajjud prayer, uh, it is possible uh, to do both ways. I mean, uh, if uh, tahajjud prayer is offered in congregation, it would not be wrong. We have both practices uh, from the uh, from the practice uh, of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, for instance, there's one narration in Bukhari where it says that 
the Prophet slept and then woke up in the morning and there was this companion, a young boy at that time, uh, who was with him and he stood up uh, by his side um, to offer the prayer and, and, and uh, you know, he, he, the Prophet even moved him to, towards his right side. So we have that uh, example of the Holy Prophet doing that in congregation. There are some other narrations about that as well, but the the uh, the main way the the priority should be given to offering tahajjud individually like on your own instead of in congregation uh, you know and that was the practice of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam for most of his life so congregational tahajjud was an exception it was not the rule the rule was to offer the tahajjud prayer uh, on your own right. uh, because you want that time to to recite the Quran, uh, to to uh, offer you know prayers in sajda, so you want that privacy uh, in in tahajjud prayer that you would not have if you were offering it in congregation, mm-hmm. right? So in our jamaat we have we have um, the practice that on special occasions we do have tahajjud prayer. For instance, recently with the Jasa Salana, uh, we had the tahajjud prayer in the morning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and we we see that the the hajjud prayer is not uh, you know it's a voluntary prayer as you mentioned that it, it is a form of nawafil as well I mean, the best form of nawafil but it is a form of nawafil. Now the nawafil are you know as as it says in its name it's they're, they're voluntary, they're done you know out of compulsion, but w- what is the point then in, in praying in them if you know the five daily prayers if if that is enough. Then what is sort of the are there more blessings in the tahajjud prayer? What's the you know what's the reason behind that one? Well, a part of the answer I already gave with uh, when we were talking earlier about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam doing this and whatever we know about prayers comes to us from the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yes, and because he he offered these prayers regularly and whatever he did, we try to follow him. Um, in Islamic jurisprudence, we have categories of prayers. Uh, you have mentioned uh, the prayers, the couple of categories al- already. There are the obligatory prayers, the first prayers, then there is the sunnah prayer, and then there is the nawafil. Hmm. Among the nawafil or voluntary prayers, the hajjad has the highest uh, position. It has the highest. Uh, the, it has the high, highest reward. Hmm. There is a narration uh, from Hazrat Abu Huraira radiyallahu he says, "Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam qala, 'Yanzilu Rabbuna tabaraka wa taala kulla laylatin ila samai dunya hina yabka sulusul laylil akhiru fa yakulu man yaduuni fa astajibu lahu wa man yasaluni fa utiyahu wa man yastaghfiruni fa aghfiralah." Which means that the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that, "Oh, that our Lord, um, the blessing." the blessed and exalted descends every night to the lowest heaven hmm. when one third of the latter part of the night is left and says who supplicates to me so that i may answer him who asks me so that i may give it to him who asks me for forgiveness so that i may forgive him so it's a special time to be offering nafal prayer uh, at uh, that early part of the night uh, uh, early part of the uh, the latter part of the night mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just before before dawn, because again, you, you, when we get up uh, at that time, we are sacrificing sleep only so that we can offer a voluntary prayer. So we're make, we're putting a lot of effort, uh, you know, to 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 get up and, and sacrificing our sleep 
uh, to offer something that we are not even required to do. So obviously that uh, kind of sacrifice, which is voluntary, would have a much greater reward as opposed to some doing something which uh, we are obligated to do, like the first prayer, right. which is the Fajr prayer, for instance. Right. Because, uh, you know, obligatory prayers are are things that we are told that if you don't do it, it would be sinful and there's a, there is an accountability for that. Exactly. But the Hajjad prayer is something that we're doing on, on our own, right? Right, exactly. Well, beautifully put there. Now, when we talk about uh, the, the Hajjad prayers and somebody wants to actually get into the habit uh, of that, how many how many rakat does one need to pray anyway? I mean, is it is is it eight or is it you can simply just pray two, or is there more than that or less than that? What, what what's the what's the amount of uh, of that? We we do have the example of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam offering eight rakat. Hmm. Um, that is one model to follow, and that is obviously a good standard. Uh, to, to or a good goal uh, to 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 try to achieve. Hmm. Um, there is a quotation of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, a short quotation that I would like to share, yes. where he explains this. So he says, "Our Jamaat should make it incumbent upon itself to offer tahajjud. Hmm. Anyone who cannot do more should make at a minimum two rakat hmm. because he will get an opportunity to make some supplications." Right. right. And then he says, "Supplications made at this time have a very special characteristic because they are off." pain and eagerness so in other words you know the habit is more important trying to do it regularly is more important and if you cannot do more at least just two rakat you should try and offer at that time absolutely absolutely and just before um, we let you go as well how can someone who who is you know wants to now get into the habit or build that habit I get into the routine of waking up for the Hajj on a regular basis, not just a one-off, not just during the month of Ramadan, but you know, make that a part of his or her life. How can sort of how can you do that? Because waking up for the you know, especially living in these sort of countries, I mean, specifically speaking about the UK, where the Fajr prayer, the morning prayer, is or the dawn pre-dawn prayer is so early in the morning. How can we get into the habit of waking up for the Hajj even before that? Right. Uh, there is a there is a wonderful book, Remembrance of Allah, mm. by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, where he has listed 13 ways to get up for the Hajjad. Mm. Uh, this book is available for download uh, on alislam.org. Just type in the search bar, Remembrance of Allah. Go to page 34 and you will see uh, the methods listed. Just to give you a quick hint, of what those methods are. Right. Uh, he talks about using an alarm clock, for instance, obviously, right? Yeah. And then he talks about, uh, you know, how it is a law of nature that everything reverts to its original state if similar circumstances reappear. Um, and, and then he talks about how if you are offering zikr after Isha prayer, hmm. right, which is late into the night, right. the more zikr you pro- perform, the earlier you will get up for zikr in the morning. So it will have this natural impact on your biological clock where you're offering zikr late in the evening and then you get up early in the morning. For It's easier to get up early in the morning morning for, for the same uh, zikr. Uh, another example of a method he listed is, is to perform wuzu, mm-hmm. ablution, before going to bed. So that cleanliness and that it puts you into that mode of uh, you know being clean and being uh, with ablution before you are, you're going to bed. And uh, that cleanliness, that spirituality helps you 
in the morning uh, to get up earlier. So these are just quick, uh, you know, small habits that we can form uh, that can help us get up for Tahajjud more easily. So you can consult the book to to read all the details. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for joining us, uh, Imam Farhan Iqbal, uh, missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community from uh, serving in Canada. Zakallah once uh, once again, and uh, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Thank you for having me. Wa alaikum assalam warahmatullah. So thank you for Imam Sheikh Sujil for doing that interview for us. And it was excellent to be able to listen to the words of Farhan Iqbal Saab, who is an Ahmadi Muslim missionary from Canada. And I'm sure, like me, you would have found very interesting answers to those very simple questions and understanding it in more detail. Hmm. Yeah, very simple questions, but uh, important questions to yeah. understand, not just for Muslims, but also for uh, non-Muslims, why we offer this, this special prayer and uh, how it, you know, brings us closer to God Almighty and how our connection uh, gets stronger as well with the with God Almighty now uh, now there there are habits of course in in anything that you do in your life uh, if you don't build the habit of doing it mm. um, then you can't you can't do it basically for example you know the habit of meditation or sports is a very good habit um, and a lot of the famous people, I remember one of my friends, uh, he had a book of very famous people, uh, very successful mm. people mm-hmm. in the, uh, and, 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 and the, their diaries, basically. And he literally found in everyone's diary that either they would have sports in the morning, very early in the morning, mm. or they would have meditation. So they did that extra effort to wake up to make themselves ready for that specific thing so you know the rest of the day they you know they can function properly or you know uh, you know meditation is one of the things that a lot of people do you know you might know a lot of people they yeah. do it to be more focused in you know during the day basically now when it comes to the habits of the hajjad yeah. um, you know how can we build the habit um, there is a, a a young boy who asked um, a question. This question was asked to His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, may Allah be his helper. That how can one get used to offering the Hajjid prayer? And His Holiness said that it is all dependent on one's willpower. Mm. He told the boy that he should try and wake up 30 minutes before uh, he usually does for Fajr prayer. So the Fajr prayer is the first uh, prayer of the day. Yep. Uh, so wake up 30 minutes earlier. Mm. And then Huzur said, when you become used to that time and offer two nawafil or two rakat of tahajjud, okay, so two rakat or two nawafil means, you know, when we start our prayer, we start with standing and w- we bow down, we come up again standing, we go down, we bow down, we go to our prostration and we sit down. And then we finish our prayer. Right. So this is this is two. So two rakat is two times standing and then bowing down and co- going down. So he says that uh, offer two nawafil or two rakat of the hajjat. Then in this way, you can adjust your time so that you can give more time to the hajjat prayer. But this is all dependent on your own willpower. 
So it depends on your willpower. If if you if you really want to do it, you will actually wake up thirty minutes mm. earlier, so you at least have you know time to yeah. pray these two. So when prayers. you say that you really want to do it, what is it that's driving you? That so if you were in problems or you needed help, yeah. needed some advice, that will give you the willpower, right? So if you really wanted something, so. If it didn't affect you that much, in all honesty, you feel that, okay, well, maybe I don't need to get up for the hajjad. Yeah. But if it's actually affecting you yeah. and you need help, that gives you the willpower to get up and do the extra prayers, right? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the promised Messiah in one occasion said that if you do to make a habit of something, and he also said uh, that if you constantly pray the hajjad for 10 days, and you pray for a specific thing, God, and it's from the bottom of your heart, God does answer your prayer, mm. whatever it is. That's very good. That, so That's a really good mark. You know, that that's like a level where yeah. people can try and aspire to. Yeah. You know? So so this is basically, you know, you can challenge yourself. Let's, let's pray and let's do this. And I've realized many people, they actually tried this 10-day, uh, it could be 10 days or 40 days, I, you know, uh, 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 10 days or 40 days. 40 days, I know that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon him, uh, might have said this, that if you do this constantly for 40 days, your prayers will be accepted, yeah. whatever you pray. Yeah, so yeah. I've, 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 I've heard if you want to get rid of a bad habit, you've got yeah. to stop it for 40 days. 40 days, yeah. Um, but I, I've heard that the hajjit for 10 days. 10, one. 10 days, yeah. But yeah, we can get that clarified. We can get that clarified, anyway. yeah. Mm. But anyway, f- further to that, you you explained something about the the um, the young boy. Yeah. So the Huzur said that you know it all depends on your willpower. Mm. If you have that willpower, you will be doing this, and you will wake up thirty uh, minutes before. And when you have that habit and you keep on doing it, do it for ten days, thirty days, or forty yeah. days constantly, you'll yeah. see that it, it automatically w- you wake up before f- the first prayer. For the prayer, and and then there was a a question that what prayer does His Holiness Hazrat Masood Ahmad do when uh, he makes the Hajjat and in which order? And um, I think that we we've got a, a a clip in in that answer as well. So I'm just going to play that to our listeners. Beloved Hazur, my question is that when you offer the Hajjat prayers, what prayers do you make and in which order? You see, the Prophet said that I pray for myself, that Allah Ta'ala gives me the sound health so that I can try to get closer to Allah Ta'ala more than before. And then I pray for my community members, my friends, my children. So in this way, you have to pray for yourself, for the mission of the Prophet and the Holy Prophet to spread the message of Islam all across the world and then for your siblings, for your parents and later on for other people. So this is the normal order but sometimes if there's any incident arises then I pray for that, right? Exactly. So it's quite interesting in, in the way His Holiness does His praise in his own prayer, he's also asking, help me to get closer to God yeah. Almighty. Yeah. And he's our spiritual leader. 
the head of the worldwide Ahmadi Muslim community, which mm. has got tens and millions of followers. Yeah. And in his prayer, he's praying so that he can, in his Tahajjud prayer, that he can get closer to God Almighty. Mm. And then he prays for his community and his friends and his family and mm. loved one. Because we write to our beloved Khalifa all the time, yeah. requesting for prayers. Mm. And if you imagine all the requests he, he receives, he is doing it, right? He yeah. genuinely loves the community. And we're so fortunate to have a, a worldwide leader mm. who loves his community and we love him so much yeah. at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even the prophets or the, the, the closer the closest saints or caliphs, right? They humble themselves in front of God Almighty, mm. requesting their, in the help of God to become closer. And this is one of the prayers one should do when they really want to connect with mm. God Almighty and don't want to lose the connection with God Almighty. And this is uh, something which is, um, uh, you know, you should do. And His Holiness also answered this question in a very beautiful way. Um, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, the yeah. second Khalifa of the Promised Messiah, wrote many ways in which one can awaken for tahajjud. Mm. So this is also another way, uh, you know, uh, uh, ways to wake up for tahajjud. And he says that one of these methods was to recite some zikr before, f- you know, falling asleep. Zikr yeah. is basically the remembrance of God Almighty. So you, in praise of God Almighty, you say words that praise God Almighty. And this will cause you to wake up again for zikr during the night. So this zikr is, of course, uh, the remembrance of God Almighty. You wake up. So this, the zikr that you did or the remembrance, the word that you uttered from your mouth whilst falling asleep, that will help you to wake up to do, to, to wake up for the remembrance of God mm-hmm. Almighty through the hajjit prayer, right? And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to perform zikr in the following manner before going to sleep. So he would recite Ayatul Qursi um, and the last three chapters of the Holy Quran. So this Ayatul Qursi is from the first, the second chapter, uh, one verse of th- uh, the chapter, and then the last three chapters of the Holy Quran. Then he uh, gently blew upon his hands and lightly passed them over his body three times. Then he would turn towards his right and say, O Allah, I put myself in your protection and turn my face towards you and assign all my affairs to you with complete inclination and fear of you. There is no refuge or protection from you except towards yourself. Believe in your book which you have revealed and your prophet that you have sent. Fantastic. I mean, that is really good examples of, you know, what what we should do, examples and how we should follow through with this. I think it's uh, really powerful. I mean, I, I just by, by saying that the promised Messiah, he, in his instructions, he said that, and he's talking to the community here, he said our Jamaat should make it incumbent upon itself to offer Dajjad 
anyone who cannot do more should make it a minimum of turakat, like you mentioned before, because he will still get the opportunity to make some supplications. And supplications made at this time have a very special characteristic because they are offered with true pain and eagerness. And until there is a special pain and heartfelt agony, how then can one wake up from comfortable sleep? To wake up at this time creates a heartfelt pain which creates a condition of devotion and distress which in turn becomes a means of acceptance of supplication but someone who is lax in waking up obviously lacks in pain and anguish but the one who wakes up obviously there is pain that is waking him up again that's uh, sayings from the Mulfazat. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for listening to us and thank you for our researchers who produced the two shows we spoke to, uh, Dura Samin Reza and Ahmad Bari Mahin. Thank you. And here's the news.